Well, we're going to look uh, specifically at two verses, verse 7 and 8 uh, this morning. Um, Blessed are the merciful and the pure in heart. So, first of all, what does it mean to be merciful? That's that good Bible word that we probably don't use in everyday conversation too much, but two things it means, and maybe this is fairly obvious, but uh, let's explore it a bit. First of all, it means to have feelings of compassion, to empathize. And the best example I can think of from the Bible is the third chapter of Job where he has just lost everything. I mean, his house has been smashed. Uh, All his crops and animals are destroyed. He has no earthly possessions left. Uh, His ten children have been killed at once, and he has lost his health. And while he sits there on the ash pile, Job chapter 3 This is what the scriptures say of him. They sat with him on the ground for seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. Now, to this day, the observant Jews have a practice they call sitting shiva, which is very similar to that, and that is that the seven days immediately following a death in the family, the family gathers together in one home. They eat poor, lowly food. They wear lowly clothes, and they sit literally on low chairs, and they sit together much of the time in silence just to allow themselves to mourn and to feel deeply the suffering and the mourning. Now, in our culture, we tend to skip over that, don't we? The question this morning is, how deeply do we allow ourselves to feel mercy? Now, Rod, would you mind tossing me my water? I've forgotten that there. Thank you. Well, I submit to you that we probably don't allow it as much as we should. Now... Here's an interesting passage from uh, Colossians chapter 3. Paul says this in the New Testament. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassion. Uh, Kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and so on. He, He brings out a list much the same as the Sermon on the Mount, but notice compassion is number one. And the word in Greek is really interesting. There it is up there on the screen. One of my favorite words in the New Testament, sponchna. Can you all say that together with me? Sponchna. Let's just roll off your tongue. Sponchna, right? Well, that's weird. Sponchna oiktemiru, something like that. Um, It means literally bowels of mercy. Now, that seems weird, doesn't it? What are they talking about? Well, the thing is, they understood, and I think the ancient cultures understood that compassion, mercy, is something that you feel very deeply, and you need to allow it to touch you deeply. Uh, As a matter of fact, if you are not able to experience and to express, to both give and receive mercy, you're not emotionally healthy. You're tied up. Uh, So the question, the first question 
were posed with this morning is, do we allow ourselves to feel fully the needs, the uh, feel compassion for the, the poor and the needy and the cares amongst us? Okay, number two. What does it mean to be merciful? It means to actually do deeds of mercy. Now, there's an interesting passage in James we're going to look at, and James is kind of an annoying epistle. You know what I mean? He's just a little too frank and a little too disturbing sometimes, but there he is. So here he is, James chapter 2, he says, If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to him, go in peace, be warmed and filled. What good is that? Okay, that's, that's kind of hitting low, isn't it? Right. What good is that? And this theme actually is not just unique to James. Uh, I've been reading through the prophets in my reading through the Bible, which I try to do each year. I've been in the prophets, and it struck me this time that there are two things that the prophets pretty much universally condemn Israel for. One is for idolatry, worshiping other gods. But you know what number two is? It's not having compassion for the poor and the needy. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 1. Just look at this. When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling of my courts? In other words, what business have you got coming into my house and going through uh, religious observances when you need to do this? You need to learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, and plead the widow's cause. Uh, carrying on into the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 4, Paul writes to the Ephesians. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, and there's that word again, splunkna. Let yourself be moved deeply by the cares and concerns of others, forgiving one another. You see, you will not allow yourself to give someone if first you don't put them, put yourself in their place and feel deeply for them. Um, Paul gives these instructions to Titus in his epistle to Titus, giving him instruction on in how to lead the people. He says, let our people learn to devote themselves to good works so as to help cases of urgent need and not be unfruitful. Being fruitful equals doing words, uh, deeds of mercy and compassion. So those are the two questions we're faced with this morning. Do we allow ourselves to feel it deeply, and do we do something about it? Well, I submit to you that probably a lot of the time, especially the answer to the first question is, no, we don't allow ourselves to feel deeply. As uh, we looked at uh, this passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul writes to them, he said, you're not restricted by us. See, it's nothing we've done here, but <clears throat> uh, you are restricted in your affections. And there's that word again. You're not allowing yourselves to feel things deeply. So I think there's probably many causes to this, but I'm going to look at three this morning. Number one, these are my terms, um, I'll call it overexposure. Now, first of all, we are just so busy. 
We're doers, 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 doers. We fill our days from top to bottom. We are like uh, in um, Mark chapter 4, the parable of the sower. Some seed fell on the path. It's just beaten down by so much traffic that the seed can't fall in. And sometimes the seeds of mercy fail to fall into our hearts for the same reason. Now, there's an added dimension to that in the last five to ten years because you see more and more we are besieged day after day with information and images from around the world, multiple horrible disasters. Just this week, here's some of the things I've seen, and you probably have seen them too. I've seen images of the city of Mosul, finally liberated from ISIS, but you look at what's left. It's obliterated, uh, leveled. Two million people in that city, either homeless and fled or hiding like foxes in the holes. And how can you absorb that? But that's only part of it. We've watched the wildfires come down the hills and people fleeing for their lives. Now more than 14,000 British Columbians in our own province that are displaced and homeless. Uh, we've watched um, images of a landslide consuming cars in China. See, we're so exposed to the disasters and tragedies of this world now that our hearts have to turn off somehow. I can't contain it all. And so what do we do? You know what we do? We selective, we dial down our compassion and say, I can't let myself feel that one too deeply. And so we draw back and we pull back. Uh, number two, another cause for the restrictions in our compassion, criticism and gossip. Oh, that's an interesting one. Look at back at our, our scripture from 2 Corinthians chapter 6 that we looked at earlier. Uh, our heart is wide open, Paul says, but uh, you're not restricted by us, but you are restricted in your affections. So why were they restricted in their affections? Well, here's why. As while Paul had been away, some of his competitors had come in and they'd been bad-mouthing him. They said, here, here's what they said. They said he said he's a terrible dresser. He's short and unimpressive. He's a lousy public speaker. He's always crying during his sermons. And only that, this offering that he's taking up, he's really going to steal that money. So in there is a mixture of some truth, some half-truth, and some lies. And that's criticism. And you know what? Uh, we all know that, look at the way our elections and our election process have gone, that more and more politicians resort to criticism, lies, half lies, and some truth, uh, but just uh, criticize with great vehemence and enthusiasm the opposition for one reason only, and that's to prevent you from becoming emotionally attached to the competitor. See, they're playing on our compassion. Criticism and gossip does that to our compassion. And number three, and this is the big one, hurt. And I'm going to look at a passage from Isaiah chapter 1. By the way, uh, you may have noticed, uh, if you have a bulletin, on the back of the bulletin there's a simple outline of uh, the message today. And if you fill in the blanks, you'll have a reasonable set of notes by the end of the morning. 
But uh, looking at Second uh, Corinthians chapter six, uh, sorry, Isaiah chapter one, uh, and Isaiah is speaking to the southern kingdom of Judah. He's commenting on their spiritual condition, and he says, from the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness, nothing but bruises and sores and raw wounds. Now, he's commenting on the spiritual condition and using the metaphor of of physical, medical issues, but I think they're instructive for us. He doesn't use them by accident. He points to three specific words. First of all, bruises. And what's a bruise? It's just the bumps and the misfortunes of everyday living that you can't avoid. Okay, example, show of hands here. How many of you have been in a car accident ever? Yeah, (laughs) you can hardly get through life without that one, can you? But I tell you, uh, immediately after that, I I remember being rear-ended not too far from here over in Bradner Road. Uh, We drove that road uh, a couple of days ago, and you know what? I'm looking in that mirror really carefully this time. Why? Because if you've been bruised, you protect that spot for a while because it's, it hurts. Um, here are some other examples. Who's here who's been unemployed expe- unexpectedly? All right. That hurts. Uh, how many of you, here's, here's one for the guys, how many of you bought a car and it turned out to be a lemon? I did, three weeks after the transmission blew. Uh, you get tenderized. You, you get cautious and fearful. There's this little voice in the back of the head says, oh, no, I hope this doesn't happen again. And so you pull back, and you're defensive. That's the bruises, financial reversal, uh, and it could go on and on. Number two, the word he uses is sores. Now, that points to chronic illnesses and disabilities. Now, things like celiac disease, Parkinson's disease, uh, learning disabilities, physical disabilities, I've come to understand by a little bit of suffering of my own what it's like to have to devote so much of your time and your energy, your emotional resources just to keep life together and keep going. You know what I'm saying? Some of you know, you know, if you, if you are one who's dealing with this in your life, you know what I mean. Uh, and nobody really understands, nobody who hasn't experienced what suffered what you have, experienced what you have, no one really understands what it takes for you to keep going. And that tends to make you feel separated and isolated from the world uh, and from those around you. And if you carry those, it takes faith to reach through that and to still extend and have compassion for others. The sores of life, chronic conditions, cancer, terminal illnesses, addictions, all of these many things uh, that isolate us, sap our energy and divert our affections. Number three, raw wounds. Two A's and a B here. Uh, first of all, is assault. I know people who have been um, unprovoked physical assault. They have suffered. Uh, they not only have to recover physically, they have to recover emotionally. 
And sometimes that's very difficult. But assault can also be verbal, and we've probably all experienced that, and sometimes that's just as harmful, just as hurtful. And there's something we almost never talk about in the church, but that's sexual assault. You know that one in four women sometime in a lifetime will experience some measure of sexual assault. And that means there are people in this room who have experienced it. And you may not even have felt like you could tell anybody. And it's hard to recover. But I want to tell you this morning, whatever wound that you are carrying, that Jesus is bigger than that wound. And if assault is repeated, it becomes abuse. We just need to look to our aboriginal neighbors to look. Do you know that since 1875, eight generations of children have been forcibly removed from their families and uh, put through what amounts to deprogramming? Do you understand the level to which uh, there has been hurt? Do you have compassion? Um, assault, abuse, and, and B, the B is betrayal. might be betrayal in marriage, in family members, in business, um, even in church. All of these things cause us to withdraw, to play it safe, to protect ourselves, and it takes an awful lot of faith to reach through and reach beyond the hurt and the bruises and the sores of life and to express, again, compassion. But there's hope here because this passage, the same passage, gives us some clues of what the cure for hurt is. Can we have that passage? Uh, we're missing one here. This is, uh, this is the Isaiah 1 passage. Um, your wounds, they, are, they have not been pressed out or bound up or softened with oil. And again, those are metaphors from their medical treatment of the time, but here's what it means. First of all, pressed out. I mean, the wound has to be cleaned. The infection squeezed out and the wound exposed to the light. Number two, it needs to be bound up. And for us, that means we bind our wounds with the bandages of the gospel. Who is Jesus? What has he done for us on the cross? Who am I as a result? And how can I live because of what he's done? The gospel and the bandages of love. Will you say with me here, to those in our midst who have a bruise, a sore, a raw wound this morning, will you say to them, we accept you? We love you? Will you just say, this is a safe place? Let's say that together. This is a safe place. And thirdly, 
the wound will be softened with oil. And that, of course, speaks of the transforming work of the Holy Spirit because no amount of counseling does it all. Uh, the gospel message is taken by the Holy Spirit and applied to our hearts, and we are transformed. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us. Now, I've um, got a little piece of paper here, just a little scrap of paper. This is an example now. This is an example <clears throat> of the mercy of God in someone's life. I found this in one of my father's Bibles. Earlier in March this year, he passed away, and a few days later, I was looking through his Bibles, and I found this little scrap of paper here. Now, there's a copy of it up on the screen here in a second. <clears throat> I can tell that he wrote this later in life because it's printing, and he got uh, shaky, so he couldn't use cursive writing anymore. He had to print. And I can tell this was very close to the end of his life because if you can uh, see that on the screen, as he goes along, it gets more and weaker and weaker and weaker till it's barely legible. But this is what he wrote down, and this is the scripture that he was hanging on to in the end of his life. May the God of all comfort comfort you in this time of sadness, comfort you with the same comfort we ourselves have received from God through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, here's what I think this is displaying here. Remember our passage said, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now notice it doesn't say, Blessed are those who have received mercy, for they shall be able to express mercy. No, it flips it the other way around. Because in your time of greatest need, the time you most want to draw back, that's the time you need to reach out to others, reach out with your own compassion and reach out to the Lord and you release the mercy of God in your own life and it empowers you. And I know that that I can see that in my father's life in those final days. I happened to call him, and what I didn't know was the last day of his life. He died uh, that night. But I was talking to him in the morning, and, you know, he was quite weak, and all he could say was, I love you guys so much. I love you guys. So in the midst of his suffering in his deepest moment, um, he reached through to express mercy and compassion, and my goodness, he touched people's lives. Okay, we must move on here. <clears throat> Verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, what does it mean to have a pure heart? Well, a heart, first of all, in the Bible, is all of that immaterial part of you. If you can't see it or touch it, that's your heart. So here are some of the things that are included in your heart. Your desires, your hopes, your interests, your ambitions, your appetites, your passions, your loves, your hates, your thoughts, your ideas, your feelings, your conscience, your motivations, your dreams, and we could probably go on, but if you can't see it or touch it, that's your heart. The hidden man of the heart, Paul calls it. So how do you have a pure heart? Because that sounds... Like, kind of like sinless perfection, doesn't it? That doesn't sound too achievable. 
<clears throat> but you see, the word really in the Greek is katharos, which doesn't mean clean, it means cleansed. See, if you're just trying to be clean, you're not going to accomplish it on yourself, but you can be cleansed. It's hard to be pure in your own strength, but you can be purified. 1 John 1 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And first of all, what are we cleansed from? We are cleansed from sin. But secondly, we are cleansed from impure uh, and mixed motives. Now, that means no vested interests, no divided loyalties, no hidden agendas. Now, classic passage, going back to James, annoying James again, chapter 4 this time. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. So that's referring to the acts of sin. Cleanse your hands, O sinners. Purify your hearts, the inner man, you double-minded. Now, this is an expression that only James uses. He uses it twice. And it's a fascinating word in the Greek. It's dipsuchas. Say that one ten times quickly, right? Dipsuchas literally means two souls. Have you ever felt like you've got two souls inside of you fighting? The good one and the bad one fighting over dominance? Say, the, if you've experienced that, then that's a symptom of double-mindedness. That's really annoying of James to point that out to us. How do you tell if you're double-minded? Well, here's three questions. A little self-examination. You don't have to raise your hand. Promise you don't have to tell anybody. But just ask yourself these things. Number one, do I act differently at work than I do at home? Ouch. Okay, or do I act differently at church than I do at home or at work? Okay, if you're secretly answering, oh, a little bit sometimes, okay, well, you got a little bit of double-mindedness. Now, the truth is, we all have a little bit of this in us, right? We just need to be cleansed. Okay, here's another one. Try this one on for size. Do you act differently? Do you do things when you're alone that you don't do when you're with people? Okay, ouch. Now you're not preaching, Larry, you're meddling. Okay. And number three. Here's another one. Does the conversation, the words in my head, are they different than the words that come out of my mouth? Right, here's an example. You go down the mall and you run into somebody you haven't seen for a long time. Oh, Joe, uh, good to see you. And in your head you're saying, oh, no, what a jerk. Am I the only one that has, you know, two conversations, two different ones, right? No, you're not. Come on. We're all a little bit double-minded in one way or another. And that's just a matter of growth. It means you're not fully integrated Christian yet. There is an answer for it. Uh, you can be cleansed. How do I purify my heart? Here it is. <clears throat> 1 John 1, 9. Let's put it up there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now, if all you're getting for your sin is forgiveness, you're in trouble. 
because you're going to do it again, and you're in that cycle, and pretty soon you realize you keep coming back to ask forgiveness for the same things over and over, and you're going to die in your heart. You can't live like that because you need the second step. You need to be cleansed, and you need to be purified. But how do you get that? Well, the first part tells us, if we confess our sins. So what does that mean? Well, it means maybe it means, okay, well, if I'm really sad for about three days and ground with a mopey face, and if I feel bad enough, maybe it will change. No. Confession has nothing to do with that. It's nothing to do with how you feel. It literally means to speak the same thing as. Homo legeo in the Greek, to speak the same thing as. Speak the same way about yourself and about your sin and about your position in Christ as God does. Now, there's probably people in this room, you, you did something you're ashamed of a while ago and maybe a long time ago, and you're still holding it over your own head. You've never fully escaped the guilt of it. And you keep going back for forgiveness, but I'm telling you this morning, you can be cleansed. Just speak the same way about it that Jesus speaks of it. He says, yes, that's vile sin. But yes, Jesus died on the cross for that sin. He washes away the guilt, and now he fills me and empowers me with his Holy Spirit to live his way. So what are you speaking the same thing as? Are you speaking the same thing as Jesus speaks about you? Or are you speaking um, other things and other lies? If we confess, he is faithful, can utterly be depended on to cleanse us from this double-mindedness so we can be of a purified heart. So there's a promise to those who are purified in, purified in heart. What's the promise? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Now, what does that mean? I mean, I haven't seen God lately. How about you? Um, but it, it's a metaphor, really. It's, first of all, a metaphor for something that they would be familiar with in Bible times, and that is um, an audience with the king. You see, you do not go into the king's presence without an appointment, without being bidden to come into his presence. Uh, the best example we see of this, demonstration of it, is in the book of Esther. Now, Esther must seek the help, the aid of her husband, the king, in defense of the people of Israel who are about to be slaughtered. <clears throat> the only problem is she hasn't been invited into the throne room. Matter of fact, she hasn't seen her husband for several months, which probably seems odd to us, but that's the way it was. Um, and so she talked to her uncle Mordecai, and she got him and all her friends praying and fasting and preparing for three days. And then on that day, she did this, and this is how I imagine it. She showed up unannounced at the court, entered the throne room, and with her head bowed and her eyes averted so she would not make eye contact with the king, she began to approach the throne. 
and she kneeled before the throne. And in that moment, one of two things could have happened. If he was in any measure displeased, the king would have motioned to the bodyguards, they would have thrown a cloth over her head, lest, she, lest he have to see her face and lest, lest she be allowed to, see, to make eye contact with, contact with him, she would have been taken out and immediately executed. But instead, the king reached forward with his golden scepter and she reached out and touched it. Now, today, for every one of you in this room, Jesus reaches out his golden scepter so that you can touch it and you can see God. Can you make eye contact with God? If you can't today, and maybe you've never had that experience, then perhaps today is the day for you to see God. To touch the golden scepter of his shed blood for us on the cross and to be granted direct access to King Jesus sitting on the throne of the universe. So direct access we have. But number two, it's more than that. It's intimate conversation. Because you see, the king not only allowed Esther in the room, he said to her, ask anything you want up to half of my kingdom. In other words, he said, come sit beside me on the throne. I will share my rule with you. And we will have intimate conversation. We will be co-workers together. Do you believe that Jesus is not only holding out his golden scepter for you this morning, but he is inviting you to sit with him on the throne and begin to ask and to begin to work with him in this world. That's your inheritance. That's what he's offering you this morning. Blessed are the purified in heart, for they shall see God. Well, musicians, you can start making your way up here. But let me tell you a story. When I was about six years old, it couldn't have been much more than that, I remember exactly where I was, which bedroom and which bed I was sitting, laying in. It was nighttime, and I was saying my prayers, and you got to understand, I grew up in the church, going to church and Sunday school and, uh, and learning the now I lay me down to sleep and to uh, come Lord Jesus be our guest and going through these motions. But I got a little frustrated and I prayed to God. I said, listen, this isn't fair that I should have to believe in you and pray to you when I can't see you. So I'm going to give you three days to appear to me. And if you don't show up in three days, I'm not believing you anymore. Yeah, it's pretty precocious, I have to admit, but uh, I waited three days, and he didn't show. I extended the deadline to seven days. <laughs> Perhaps I could, you know, maybe with time he'd come around, he didn't show up. Now, somehow I couldn't bring myself to stop believing, but I had this hunger, I want to see God. I don't want to just throw prayers at the wall and hope they stick. 
I want to have contact with the living God. And that hunger grew in me. And I remember through my teenage years, I remember one time a buddy at school came across a Ouija board and he convinced me and another guy to play with this thing. And it didn't take me long to realize, I don't know what that is, but that creeps me out. That's not God. And thankfully, I turned my back on that. But I was hungry for some spiritual reality. And things went on. I went on to university, and I wandered in those years. And, you know, the partying and the dating thing. But that was empty. And it didn't take uh, long before the hunger returned. And I kept running into these people who love Jesus. You know, some was like that, right? Kept running into them every once in a while. And I remember one time, me and my roommate, we ran to this girl named Sharon. Now, Sharon, if you're ever listening to this webcast, God bless you. <laughs> but uh, my roommate started to pepper her with questions, you know, about her faith and about uh, you know, her relationship with Jesus and about the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and uh, I was sitting there just soaking it up. Oh. Oh, man, I want that so much. But, you know, I couldn't bring myself to say a word. And I went away, still hungry, and I went away empty, and I wandered for another year or so in the deserts of the world. Till one day, I'd had enough. I spent that whole week uh, repenting and reading the New Testament through almost one end to the other. By Sunday night that week, I said... Uh, I, I got to find a way to, to see God. And I, so I called up Sharon and I invited myself along to her church. Because right? uh, somehow I knew that at that church they had an altar call and they would pray for people. And I said, that's what I need. And it was, you know, we, we don't call this an altar anymore, but it's sort of a railing like, just like this one here. And I don't know what was preached that day. And I have no idea what songs we sang, but I know that I was ready when the call came and I came up and I kneeled down at a place like that. And I surrendered it. And the double mind, I laid it all out and God washed it away and he, I met God. And I began to have this intimate conversation with the living God. If you're here today and in any measure you have not experienced that, don't let this day go by. Start making your way. Guys, start, start playing quietly here. Start making your way down here. Don't waste any time. You can see God. And if you're feeling a little distant from God and you've had that experience sometime in the past, but you know it's feeling a little distant, well, just come down here and worship with us. And if you're... Um, Earlier we were talking about hurts and bruises. If there's some hurt or bruise in your life that's tied up your affections, your affections for God, your affections for others, well, maybe this is the time, maybe this is the day to get free from it. Maybe this is the time, okay? So you come. You come. Let's lead us in worship. <laughs>